from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a director and a playwright. Today we're talking about a topic that uh, I was actually very surprised when we were discussing topics we might do this week uh, that we had never done before because it's something that is so central to the work that we do and actually has been something that has been fairly implicit in many of the discussions that we've had, but we've never actually had a uh, episode about it, and that is stakes. Uh, what are stakes? Stakes are the things that in a scene a character has to gain or to lose in the situation. It's the thing that makes it important that the character gets what they want. Stakes really are the engine that keeps a scene and a play running. And I've talked about it thus far in terms of as an actor, uh, the way actors use stakes, but also uh, stakes are something that are an important part of writing as well and establishing, again, what is on the line, why these characters can't just stay in bed but instead need to get up and do the play. I think we would all agree that stakes are incredibly important to the process of acting, especially, and also to writing. Why, uh, if you had to articulate it, would you say that stakes are an important thing? I think primarily it's, it's uh, when for the audience, that the, the audience can get on board with something if they understand it. And if they see um, that something, because it, if the importance is increased, if the, if the stakes are high, the importance is increased, and then the audience can can feel that importance and go along with you because they also care that you get what you want because you want it so much. I actually think that strikes on something really important, which is that so often I think we've talked about it in the past that you know actors sometimes suffer from this real need for the audience to like them. I mean that that they want the audience very much to like them um, and sometimes you know that can cause people to make choices that you know where they don't really allow their characters to go as hard at what they uh, want as they might you know because they might seem ruthless or might seem whatever but the thing is, is that for exactly that reason audiences tend to really identify with characters when they are desperately trying to get something, when they seem to really want something, when something matters so much to them that they are willing to do anything to make it happen. That, though, that those are actually, it is actually a route by which to make the audience root for you. I certainly have seen many plays where I end up, in films too, where you end up really rooting for a character that the main reason is, is they so clearly want it so bad. And you begin to want it so bad for them, even if it's not something uh, that you necessarily would, would identify with in life. Mm -hmm. The more important something is, the more you want something, you're forced into action. It forces you to act. And at the same time that it forces you absolutely to act and into action, it also helps you to avoid quote-unquote acting. You know, that that idea of when you uh, have found a reason that your character desperately wants something, desperately needs something, it makes you get much more creative about solving that problem. It creates behavior, it forces you to listen, it forces you to engage, it forces you to solve problems, and it really forces you to advocate for your character. And if you have something going on for your character that you can identify with, that makes you really need to solve this problem on behalf of your character in interaction with the other characters that are up on stage, you don't have time to do actory things and worry about anything other than being the character and getting what you want, which is again what makes really textured and interesting and surprising performances on stage. It's interesting because I kind of, in I don't know a better way to say this, but I kind of view stakes as cheats, as personal actor cheats, I guess you could say, because they're incredibly important. 
I'm not saying it's like you're cheating as an actor, but like, no, I'm, I am saying you're cheating as an actor, but in a good way, in an important way. For example, like if, I, um, if I'm doing a monologue um, and I'm talking to a boy and I want this boy to like me, I mean, I can make up any given circumstances or stakes where he has my puppy and I need to convince him to get my puppy back because I love puppies. Like you can, you can make these things that you know will get you as an actor revved up about something. How do you establish stakes as an actor? If it's important because it's the thing that engages you essentially in the journey of your character, where do you find them? I think that one of the ways that you can um, find stakes in a scene is by trying different things as your stakes and that's part of like if you have a rehearsal process that allows you exploration you can you know see see what hits you the most like what makes some, what is the most important thing you can lose and you might not know that starting out but you might find that through the process of rehearsal like if I'm if I'm trying to get this person to say yes to me and if they don't say yes X, fill in the blank, that's my stakes. If this person doesn't say yes to me, what happens? I'll get fired, I'll, you know, uh, I'll never find love in my life, I will have to leave, I, you know, like... The puppy will get hurt. The puppy will get <laughs> hurt. Like, what is the stakes for this person saying yes to me? And I can try to think of, like, different things, and whatever, like, punches you in your guts, that is probably a good a good stakes for the, for the scene, for the situation. And sometimes I think it has to do with something from the, the character history or the text. You know, sometimes the play gives it to you, but sometimes you can have that plus or you can have something completely separate. The text is really where I find the majority of my stakes. I feel like I always really respond to the words as well as the circumstances and I feel like in, in the long game, like trying to build the performance, there's, um, I'm looking for all of the different things that are going to light a fire under me every single night. So the text is really helpful to me in finding that information and finding things that I already connect to that I can make more important for myself. And I said that stakes were, you know, what, what happens if this, doesn't happen. It can also be what will happen if I if this happens. I can also it can also be a gain of like if I if they say yes, um, I'll get to go to Disneyland if you know or whatever you know would be high stakes for you. I'll get a new puppy. You know that gives gives you importance. Whatever gives you importance. Then. I I think that um, I'm I I feel very lucky because I just have a anytime I read something or do something. I just decide at the beginning that I automatically am behind this person and the character. <laughs> and so there's no question about whether it's important or not. I'd never question it for any reason. So I just, it's just important. So then, and then from there, I just hear myself say the words. And when I hear myself say the words, things come through my head from my life that just kind of, and I just don't knock them out. I don't rule, I don't, I don't fight that. I sense that that's me trying to align myself with the character and it just becomes important once you just listen to what you're saying. Well, it's something I think actually both you and Jenny have almost a preternatural ability to connect to stakes. I mean, it's something I've actually noticed about the both of you and I'm actually really sort of, I mean, that's actually very interesting to hear uh, about what your process is um, for that. And I also, th I, because I do think that there's a, there's, there's a degree to which even if you don't have that instinctive an innate sense to connect those things. You can have an analog to it in your process uh, through the kind of personalization that we've talked about in any number of different um, episodes in the past. And that idea that, that it's also something we've said about the idea of the right choice is always the one that moves the actor. And that that really is, is nowhere more important than here. And that idea of, in very many cases, you will read the text. Uh, and just like when you see a movie and get moved by the circumstances of the character, if you read the play and are moved by the circumstances of your character, either overall or in a specific moment, don't fight that because there's something in the things that, you know, that your life experience and the way that it interacts with the play that is only going to serve you. 
That said, I do think that it is a mistake to think that you can only look in the text, because if you're finding the things that are in the text are not helping you, or are not helping you in all the ways that you need help, that idea of creating created circumstances like the kidnapped puppy, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. Or even, you know, I think very often the, the most interesting and helpful way to go about it is to do something like what you're describing, Carrie, in terms of taking the circumstances that are given in the play, but then knowing yourself and knowing, you know, how to tilt it a bit. You know, what things led up to this thing that we know from the text. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's something we talked an awful lot about in our uh, character history episode and our episode on... Um, on uh, your character's life off stage, but those are things where again you can create circumstances that move you, that in turn make the circumstances given the text even more important. It doesn't. I think you generally don't uh, want to go and search out created circumstances that do not, in somehow, enhance the given circumstances. Although you know there can be cases where if you find created circumstances that really help you in a scene that discount it's not to say you can never do that but generally what you want to do is find creative circumstances that will dance with the given ones in such a way that the play as it happens is something that is incredibly important to you do you know what i just realized too and that i do all the time all the time is don't i don't ever ignore the fact that the audience is there i don't and and i always i always think that they're part of the circumstances and i always think in terms of of the character, I'm aware that 80 to 500 people are being asked to sit down and shut up and pay attention to me, so I better show up. <laughs> so I've asked them to sit and pay attention to me for, so now I better make it happen. <laughs> and meaning the character. Like if I sat, if I'm going to sit and tell the story of my puppy or whatever, whatever, you know, the monologue or whatever's going on that the character has to talk about, there are 80 souls in the room that are paying attention to you. So you kind of have to do it right. <laughs> you can't be doing anything just because. It's, no. It's like, yeah. it, it, you, you know, if, if, if the stakes are so low that you can say, oh, I just want this, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. high enough. And, and it's not high enough to, I mean, that's why we have plays and storytelling is it's you bringing people to tell the story. It's got to be an important Story to tell. You can't. You don't want to see somebody who just wants this. You want someone who desperately wants it, and that's why other people come to watch. Yeah, and it's something. I mean, that thing is something that that you see all the time, all the time, all the time. Because when I find when I ask actors in rehearsal a question about why do you want this, why, what are you trying to do, what what are you trying to keep from happening. Literally 70% of the time, the answer begins, oh, well, I just want to. And it actually is something that one of the very few quote-unquote rules I have in a rehearsal where I'm directing is you can't use the word just unless it's about justice. But the, uh, but the thing is, if you, if, if you, yeah, exactly, if you can describe something that you want as something that you just want to turn out, you just want to, you just want to, you just want to, then it's not something that is worth having a play about. And I can certainly guarantee that when the playwright took the time to sit down and write it, they didn't take the time to sit down and write about something that was a time in somebody's life that they would call just anything. And that's actually a good point. That's why I find it kind of um, easy to plug into the circumstances of what's going on around, or like the importance of what's going on around me in a play, because especially good plays, are about extraordinary circumstances in people's lives. You know, it's not just about this... Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. It's about <laughs> the Tuesday that your husband left you, or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's already set up as an important moment. You know, I mean, that's what a play is, I feel like. And so it, it's kind of easier... It's easy sometimes to, to plug into the stakes of that. But it's also easy to rely on that and kind of become complacent. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. it's incredibly important that then as an actor or director, beyond, you know, taking the play that already exists at an extraordinary time and taking that further. Well, I think also a part of it is, is that idea that 
um, if is that you also don't want to have stakes that are just enough to do the play as written. Mm -hmm. What you want, because it tends to be true in life, even when you are a very articulate person, at the incredibly high stakes moments in your life, there are not words to describe exactly what is going on for you. And that those are the things that you want to do, not to get up to the level of the text, but to need more from the world, to have more concern about what would happen in this world than is necessarily laid out in the text, so that when you've got these words, you need to heighten them. That you're not coming up to the words, but you create a situation where you need to lift the words up to do the things, to protect you from the things, to get you the things that you so desperately need. And that's the idea that people talk about, it, about an, a, a, an actor elevating a script. Not wiping out a script, but I think a huge amount of what people say when they say that a character elevated a script is that idea that they wanted even more than, and more importantly, than the text was able to express, and so they had to do things with those words to try to get that. And it's like when people say there was so much behind that. Mm -hmm. When I saw their their performance and there was so much behind it, you can, you can just see them like straining, I mean, not straining acting but like the that the character um trying so hard to to use what they have yeah and and that really is a place again where again that idea that you know it's like, oh that person's a good actor they can cry or whatever and that that's not the thing that makes a a good actor but emotionality is an important part of a performance but one place that you very can get very ready access to it is that idea if you if you create stakes or find stakes, if you identify the stakes one way or another that are things that really, again, move you, that you look at this character situation and just want to weep for them, either at what they stand to lose or at the idea of them not getting the thing that is so important for them to gain, that you will find as you are in there and saying the words that your character has to say and the other characters are saying words to you that are getting you either closer to or further from this thing that you desperately need and desperately want. And again, the stakes are the desperation, are the thing, are, is the way that you as an actor have come to think about what the character wants such that it is incredibly important to you to see them get it. What you will find is you will respond. You will respond emotionally. You will respond emotionally to just being up there and going through the argument that your character has to go through on stage. I think that's really an important part of it. That when you're you're building stakes for yourself or finding stakes, as you said, Kit, that you really are trying to make it as easy as possible for yourself to give to, to hit all the marks to to let that emotional connection happen and this is one of the major ways that one of the major tools really that that you have in your pocket when you go out on stage every single time and i feel like i said earlier finding it in the text is really valuable for me also finding it in props is really helpful to me and a lot of the time that's kind of text-based if there's a ring or a letter, something like that. Really finding what is important to me about that thing is another way in for me. Hmm. So that every time I see that prop on the stage or touch that prop or it's a necklace, I'm wearing it, or I have it in my pocket and I know exactly what its path is through the play, that helps me emotionally connect, intellectually connect, and really it makes everything that I'm doing more important. Everything connects back to itself yeah. and it, it highlights um, or it, it kind of incites more connection for me for everything. I think that's really great and really important, that idea of endowing things, whether they be things or people, with stakes, such that it's not something that when you, again, it's that idea of doing your preparatory work. So if you know that, the, that you have a story for this thing that you deal with or this person that you deal with that moves you, you will be confronted by the stakes when you get on stage and look at the chair that you know what that chair means to you or the wad of money that you know why you have it with you or that person um, in the room and what you have to lose if you disappoint them. That if you've done that work ahead of time, you don't have to be going through the play the whole time thinking about your stakes all the time as much as 
again, you turn, you look, you see this thing, you're confronted by the work that you've done about it. An actual, a clear example for me of when I used that, which I actually just remembered, was in uh, a film that we did, Rainbow Rabbit Reliant, where I connected very strongly to a mug that one of the other characters breaks. Um, and in one of the scenes that I uh, come in at the end, another character is cleaning up the pieces of the mug. And it was very easy for me to connect into the stakes of the whole circumstance based on the work that I had done on, like the connection that I had with this mug that was now in shambles on the floor, which no one would know from watching it, you know, what, what it was. But that for me was a really uh, good example of the prop thing that you were talking about that I don't I don't always think about but it would, but that's well and that's amazing. a really good example of then the opportunities that that provides for mm -hmm. you because now you you see that mug on the floor and you're having a relationship not only to the object but to the person who put it there yeah and it opens up all these other doors in terms of the investment you have in the relationship with the person who's on stage with you yeah well, it's interesting, too, because especially, I mean, this is maybe a whole different thing, but because it was a film also, the other actor that I was in the scene with knew that, could see, could see, I don't, I don't know how, but could figure it out that it was the mug. There was something about the mug that was really important to me. And before each take, um, and it, it got me, it really got me, he... You know, we were cleaning up the or he was cleaning up the pieces, and he picked up a piece of it and kind of gave it to me, or you know, showed it to me, or whatever. When it was, it was your close up. When it was my close up to, and it it really helped me connect to everything that was going on in that moment. And he he recognized that, and you know, in a film, well, I mean, in a, in a play, you could do that too. But he was really able to kind of help me with that. And it was also, that actually was a really neat thing, because I do remember that, because I, I recall at least the first time you did it, when the camera was on you, and you started the scene, the camera was on him, and he pulled it out. You didn't know he was going to have it until yeah. you were in the middle of the scene, that he was going to have this shard of the broken mug that you had invested so much into. And it just really created a very surprising to you and therefore really interesting to watch emotional response from you, mm -hmm. which then again, but you had an action. You were trying to get something done that was even more important than the mug, but to see sort of those two stakes struggle with each other mm. was a really interesting thing to see on film. Well, I think the interesting thing about for me about this conversation is that it made me realize that you really have to know how you navigate the world and what's important to you because mm -hmm. I never, ever, ever connect to things. I just don't. I don't in my real life. I don't on stage. I, doesn't, I don't infuse things with anything, so it never works. That, and I just find that I, I've always known that but I if you're somebody that does that know that that's a tool you have know if you're somebody that connects them what I can, what's so important to me in life and is that other people hear what I'm saying and so that's always what ends up infusing me but it's, it's just interesting mm -hmm. I once I figured that out because people I, people have tried to use that with me in the past or, or, or directors and like this thing's really important to you and I'm like I don't I don't connect to that idea because nothing is important. and it's interesting because I, I connect the thing to a person Wait, I mean, it's, no, it's just same. interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. really interesting because, like, that mug, it was like the mug that my dad gave me as a child. You know what I mean? Usually, like, what was, people do. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I don't know why. I just don't. I, I, I don't know. I yeah. have a complete disconnect to that. Well, and I also think again that there's such a. It, this is getting a little bit off topic, but here we are. That there's a, <laughs> <laughs> but that there's a. Um, I, I think a real conception on the part of actors that again certainly we all are big believers in craft I certainly believe that acting is a craft um, but the idea that there's a quote-unquote right way to act a wrong way to act that if you can't you know can't endow a mug with a great deal of meaning then you're acting wrong yeah. um, but so much again of that idea of this thing that we keep talking about about finding the things that move you and start there that one of the most important things about being an actor, yes, you need to learn techniques. You need to go, you know, take classes and learn from directors you work with and really give a full-blooded attempt to do anything that you encounter to see what works for you. But ultimately, the process of growing an actor as an actor is really much less about learning techniques, though that's certainly a part of it, is it about learning about you and learning yourself and learning your instrument and learning what moves you about things so that 
you can know when you go into a rehearsal process, not I need to try every single one of these things, but I have learned from my experiences that when I want to get to a place I need to get to for this kind of play, that I should go at it from this angle because I know that's what gets me there. Not that's what gets an actor there or that's mm -hmm. what gets a person there, but that's what gets me there. And that, as an actor, is really the probably the most important thing for you to figure out over time and something that you are really responsible for walking into a rehearsal process with. It's actually how, all the, what you're saying is how I figured, how I figured out how to get into stakes or to make stakes important is that I realized that I'm somebody who I struggle with saying things right. That's why being heard is really important to me because I can't ever say things right. And I remember for a long time, I like you get the lines on a page and you're like, oh, okay, I'm, now I'm saying the perfect thing. But then I, it just occurred to me one day, I was like, that's not A, what's interesting about me and B, interesting period. So that's when I figured out that whatever's on the page, there has to be something 10 times more important that these words aren't enough because that I connect to because I don't. So that's my way of, is that whatever's written there for me, what's more important. So that the text is actually the text becomes the imperfect way of saying it. Yeah. And I think by way of example, I mean an example that we tend to use a lot on here, but Glengarry Glen Ross, I mean that's something that in the text these stakes are pretty clear, which is that there are these people who have a job and if they do not sell well this month they are going to lose their job. I mean the stakes are very black and white in the play. And it is something that if that's something that you read it and that idea of losing your job is something that just tightens your chest and you, I mean if that's enough then there's no reason to do anything that, you know, other than to really focus on I need to keep this job because I will lose my job. That said, if that's not something that does do a lot for you, which again, frankly, if you're an actor, you live the life of a freelancer, you don't have it. It actually is probably something that not a lot of actors would connect to immediately. But when you start thinking about, again, circumstances, created circumstances that are outside the play, but hopefully connected, is what will happen if you lose your job? You know, does that mean I need to move out of my beautiful new apartment that I love so much? If that's something that really moves you, that your nest is important to you. If, if that's something that really moves you, then that's the thing that you can focus on. You're not, fo you're not fighting to keep your job, you're fighting to keep your house. If you have a sick family member that you need to pay medical bills for, if that's the thing that moves you again, uh, that you need as an actor to be a little bit of a playwright in terms of writing circumstances that relate to the core problem of the play, but that again move you, that are the things that are gonna make it important for you. Because again, if the idea of losing your job isn't something that does a lot for you, you're not gonna be very interested in the play. But if keeping that job is the thing that allows you to keep your apartment, the thing that allows you, that makes your mother proud of you, that I mean, whatever it is that, move, that, that gets, makes it important to you, is the right answer. That moves you and activates you. And uh, Yes. And it's interesting because it can be the s seemingly stupidest things. I, I, <laughs> this is kind of another weird example, but from Rainbow Rabbit Reliant, there was um, the, the character that I was playing was very paranoid about people coming to get her, to get the, her partner and, and stuff like that. And I remember there was a scene where I had to be looking out the window um, you know, looking around paranoid that people were coming for me. Um, and uh, Kit was directing and he was like, you know, there's sharpshooters, there's all of these things, all the different buildings. And I was looking out and I like, for whatever reason, I could not connect to the fact that there were sharpshooters <laughs> or people that were actually coming to get me. And what, this is embarrassing, what got me there was the idea that there were <laughs> cougars. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically cougars. Specifically cougars out the window that were trying to get in. And for whatever reason in that, you know, period in my life, I was deathly afraid of cougars. And like, like <laughs> older women. Oh, no, no, not <laughs> the cats. <laughs> um, and Speak like, clear. I mean, I knew that that was something that was gonna help me and it did, but like I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what a sharpshooter, I, I, it, it just worked for me and it, it can, you know, it's, it can be, 
ridiculous as long as there is no wrong answer as long as you get to there and I think that that idea actually I I realize I should probably clarify what I mean by and I wonder if I never have in the past by something that moves you is I think it is to a degree emotionally moves you but really much more importantly that it moves you to action makes you it makes you that idea of get up out of bed to do the play it's the thing that makes it important that drives you towards solving the problem that your character has yes that launches you forward, hopefully. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you hear all the time in rehearsal is that thing that someone says, you need to raise the stakes of a scene. Uh, what does that mean, and, and how do you go about doing that? I think it means make the situation more important. I, I was rehearsing um, Jen's play, Yukon Brass, and we had a rehearsal where there was a fight scene. The two, the two um, other guys in the scene came on, were having a fight, and it just occurred to me in the middle of the scene that this is not a safe situation, I'm just gonna leave. <laughs> and I left. And then this, you know, the scene stopped because that's not how the play is written. The play is written where the three of them continue to stand there and hash out what they need to hash out. So what it made me realize is that, okay, leaving's not an option. <laughs> so what, what's keeping me here? What's so important that I cannot leave? I actually think that's a, a really, <laughs> really good, because it raises a whole separate thing, but that idea of if you're finding yourself doing something just because the text tells you you're supposed to, it will read as obligatory. You know, if it, and, and, and that, that if you had in fact just stayed there and said, well, I guess I don't go, so I'll stay and watch them fight, that would not have well, and rung also, true. The audience will wonder why doesn't she just leave? Yeah. yeah. If, there's no, if there's no reason to parent in you and staying, like if they're if they don't see you engaged in something that's happening, then the audience is gonna question it too. They're gonna flag it. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know I know as a director, the places where I ask an actor to raise the stakes are usually generally the places when you can see the acting. You know, when you can see somebody quote unquote acting, that's usually for me the flag to say you need to raise the stakes because again that's the thing that gets people out of their performance head and more into their character's head. Um, So certainly when you leave the stage that's a good sign for you as an actor that perhaps you need to raise the stakes. Um, Are there any other things that you guys as actors that cause you to think that you need to raise the stakes? When I cannot remember a line. The same line over and mm-hmm. over and over again is a really good indication to me that I haven't the faintest idea why I care about it or or what why it's important to me, but also um, what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. When I have too much time to strategize what I'm about to do, if I'm not acting quick, then it's not mm-hmm. important enough. I think I think for me, it's any time I can't. I just. Why, why is this happening? Why am I here? Why don't I? It, you know, it, it, it's, it's partially to do with, you know, objective and obstacle, but, you know, most of the time it can be solved with finding something that's really important that I want, and that's why. I feel like if there's a moment that I can tell that this, that I can tell I'm acting, which sounds stupid, but it's like, this, I, this, I'm not connecting to this. Mm-hmm. It's not like a specific tell necessarily. It's just something I can feel like this is, this like, is untrue. This well, is it's kind of a, just you know, saying all this line very like, fast. <laughs> you're, you're marking through the text. You're marking through the blocking. You're doing something because you're obligated by the, by the play, but you don't feel it. Or any time that I notice that I'm feeling self-conscious or... Mm-hmm not in my body, that I'm not really somehow grounded, it's a sign that I I have to find something to invest in. And then how do you go about investing in those things to raise the stakes? And I'm actually especially interested, Carrie, in how you do that since the way you describe the place that you find stakes generally is that they just sort of show up for you. But if you're in a situation where you're being asked to raise the stakes, how do you do that? That usually, honestly, usually if, if, if somebody has to tell me to raise the stakes, that just pretty much does it. Does that make it, like, I, I, I because I feel like I'm letting it down. If there's an instant reaction, emotional reaction to being told that hmm. I'm not doing it enough. <laughs> That's, I mean, 
that's Usually that's it. a stake. That's an investment in your craft. Yeah, that's what it is. Thank you. Making that make sense. Well, there is something too about the idea that sometimes it really can be as easy as deciding to. You know, especially that uh, that visualization can be a really useful thing because I think ultimately, kind of, that's what you're doing when you're you know, thinking about your stakes, whether they're in the whether they're in the text or the ones that you've created, you're visualizing this is the thing that is going to happen or this is the thing that is not going to happen depending on how the the, the scene goes. But I think that there really can be that idea. And sometimes I know when I act, there's something where it's just like, okay, I'm getting ready to go and I just get the other actor in my eye and it's like, okay, we're going toe to toe. We're going to do this thing. I'm deciding to come in hard at this thing. Sometimes that really can do two things, which is one, connect you that time through, but also if you do decide to do that, you kind of can't do that every t single time you do it because then it loses, you know, it loses its potency. But so you need to pay attention that time that you do it because you will find that there are things that show up for you that become important that move you about the scene when you've made that very active decision to come in hard and deal very directly with the other person but you need to be able to figure out okay when i was talking to them like that what was really interesting is i found that this whole section of the scene was about this idea that it was never about before so what you can do the next time to raise the stakes is to make that section of the scene about that idea about that idea that means something to you um, and that's actually another thing that is um an exercise we've talked about in the past is one of the exercises we talked about in the, the Gene Lasko episode we did a few weeks ago is the different exercises, but the loud exercise is very much about raising stakes. That idea about, especially when you're doing a monologue, but you can do other things where you just say the lines as loud as you possibly can. It sounds kind of silly, but it totally gets you out of your way because you're so busy saying things loudly, you don't have time to think about a lot else, and so things just kind of show up for you. But the things that show up in that particular exercise are very often related to stakes. So if you do it and pay attention to what are the things that are occurring to me as I'm talking about this thing very, very loudly, um, those are things you can repeat the, the next time and the time after that and the time after that, even though, of course, you can't do it loud every time. I think it's interesting something you were saying about deciding to raise the stakes. I think it's it's easy to think that you you would resist that for some reason when the reality is most of the time when you need to raise the stakes it's always to your benefit to do so but most of the time you it, you sort of you don't know that you need to until whatever is the catalyst comes around and then you realize it whether you figure it out yourself or a director points it out or you sense it from your partner or whatever the case may be but I think that's when you have this whole toolbox of, of tricks that you know you know your own ways in and you can um, pick from the toolbox and, and go after it but I feel like it's really interesting because I, I guess there's there's <laughs> there's a sense that for some reason you wouldn't want to but really it's such a great opportunity and it's only going to give you more and more and more things to do and, and, and ways to make the play work. And in terms of raising the stakes, there really, I think, are kind of two fundamentally different ways of thinking about it, and both of them are totally valid, which is one, if you're finding that the stakes you're working with are not important enough that they're getting you places, you can either A, find ways to care about it more, you know, perhaps deciding to care about it more, thinking about ancillary things that would be affected um, you know, by the stakes that you're working with, finding some creative circumstances, uh, you know, that augment it. Or caring about something different that you might just find, I've been sitting here fighting about, you know, saving my job and I just don't care enough about that idea. I need to make the scene about something different for me. Either one of those things are totally valid approaches and there's no right one. It really has to do with you knowing about yourself and your instrument and how you respond to things and how you're responding to that particular play and making the call about where do I need to go in this moment to make it more important. Do I need to care more about what I already care about or do I need to jump off that ship and jump onto another one? 
And I think that touches somewhat indirectly, but on another uh, important thing, which is about the stakes of a scene that we've talked about it elsewhere before, but it feeds in with stakes, that idea and the danger of quote unquote, giving yourself some place to go in a scene. You know, that the idea being that, like we talked about before, if a scene is worth having a scene about, it's got to be really important. And that idea of sort of backtracking from the height of stakes, which I think is something that people can do, which is at the end of the play, it's really important. Therefore, at the beginning of the play, things shouldn't be very important. But that's not the way that we experience things in life. That we are experiencing things as being as important as they could possibly be. So it's like, I we're in this building and we go to leave and it's after hours and we find the building's locked and we can't get out. Okay, that's the biggest problem I could have at this particular moment because I'm locked in this building, I don't know when I can get out. And then I find out no one is going to be here for three more days and I'm not sure that there's a lot of food in here. Okay, that's a concern. It gets, it gets worse. I didn't think it could get worse, but it's just gotten worse. And then I find out, oh my goodness, one of the people who's in the building here with us has a medical condition and doesn't have their medication with them. Okay, it's gotten even worse at this point. Then we find out, oh, because it's a long weekend and they uh, and, and there's no one here, they have a guard dog that they set out and it's somewhere and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But the thing is, is that what, what you don't want to do is if you were in that play, to play the first scene as, oh, I don't care that I'm locked in the building because I know eventually there's going to be a guard dog roaming the halls and somebody who needs to get to their medication. And I think that that idea to find the ways to what are the stakes from the very, 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 very beginning and then as the play gets worse, what you, fi what you will find is that you will respond in very interesting ways to things getting worse than you thought they could possibly have gotten instead of playing the play from the end back to the beginning. Because actually as a writer, and actually we should talk in a minute a bit about the way that writers uh, can incorporate stakes, but there, it really is a very serious uh, thing that, that you talk about, that idea of dropping the needle, that idea of this character has had this whole life, these people have had this whole life, why do you drop the needle on the record at this part of the story? Why is this the moment where you start to tell the story. And the idea being is that in a well-written play, what you want to do is drop the needle as late in the story as you can conceivably start it and still have the story. Which means that the writer, if they've written a well-written play, have put a lot of work into making sure that there are serious stakes from the very beginning of the play. When I'm writing a play, I, I, give, I give my characters things that they want and I and, and sometimes it can see, seem from the outside, especially because I write plays about younger people and teenagers, that their circumstances, it, with the hindsight of adulthood, are, are like not the most important thing that's going to happen in their life. But especially like when you're a teenager, like everything is the most important thing. The, you know, getting this girl to like me is the most important thing that can happen to you. And, and so, it, you know, just because in the scope of someone's life, it's not the most important thing. At that moment, it always is the most important thing to you. Uh, you know, otherwise it wouldn't be a play. We wouldn't be dropping the needle there. Like you would, you know, certainly like, you know, in the course of your day, like how you feel about like where you're sitting, like, I wish I was over there. Like <laughs> it, it can be so like, if you have to stay in a meeting that you don't want to be in, like it feels like the worst thing that you can't leave. And certainly you're not gonna have a play about someone sitting in a meeting and can't leave. But like, uh, Good. you know, when you have two people, even if it seems like what one person wants is more important than what the other person wants, it's still the most important thing to them. And they're gonna fight for it because, and, and you know, sometimes there can be this negotiation where it's like, oh, that does seem like, what's happening to you is worse than what's happening to me. There can be a, a, you know, a moment of empathy or compassion, but that doesn't, and that may alter somewhat what your Or a are. lack of compassion in that moment right. where someone is saying that I see what you want and I am 
judging my need and my stakes to be higher than yours. Right. And I mean, it's actually something I think finds its way into a lot of your plays, is that idea of characters where their essential battle is over which one of their needs is a higher stakes one, that especially your shorter plays, I mean, other people's plays also, where it sets up a binary situation where only one of them can get what they want. Right. Um, and it needs both of them to sign off on whatever that thing is, and it's the, it's a battle between them over which one of them has more at stake, and therefore which one of them should give way. And I think that comes from uh, uh, from my writing process, which comes from my history as an actor. Whereas you know you imagine yourself as that person and what they want, and when I'm thinking about if if I can connect to the character that I'm running at all, which is you know very important for me to be able to do, then I am pushing like everything that I want into this person and they're acting in a, you know, in a way that reflects that, that level of need because you know, that's how the story's built. I need this and then you are the other person and then I need this and then it just, there's a conflict. Yeah, and, and I think that stakes find their ways in many, many ways into, into writing. Including, and it's something that was sort of, that was, uh, I think Carrie, you alluded to it a bit earlier about from an actor's point of view, but in terms of investing the audience, that you as a writer need to set up very early on for an audience, why am I watching this? What is going on for these people? What do they have to gain? What do they have to lose? Because otherwise you don't know who to root for and how and how to judge their journey in terms of are they getting closer to or further away from this thing that is at stake. You know, and that idea of, you know, of setting the baseline for the play of this is, this is, you know, what is at stake in the play and the journey of the play, the plot of the play becomes a series of moves closer and further away from reaching that goal that we are invested in because we understand what the stakes are, because we understand why it's important and, and why it would be important to us as an audience member, which is a very important thing to be able to put into the text of a play, to have a character either articulate or preferably indirectly articulate what is at stake for them in a way that makes us say, as the audience, if I was in that situation, that would be a big concern for me too. I really want to see how this person navigates the situation that I wouldn't, that would be a difficult one for me to find myself in and I'm not sure how I would navigate my way out yeah. of it. You want to be, you want your characters to, to demonstrate their stakes either with actions or words so that, you know, what they want is clear to people who are going to be doing the piece. Yeah. And I think that really there's very many ways in which character is established by the nature of the character's stakes. Because the same way that we're talking about as an actor, you need to find the thing that moves you. Well, the audience is going to judge a character and the character's values and personality and what they're all about based on what the text tells us they have at stake and what they're fighting for. You know, that again, if you have a, a play where somebody is about to lose their job, we will judge the character very differently if their main concern is they'll never get a partnership versus their wife will leave them versus they're not going to be able to feed their kid versus their mother won't be proud of them anymore. And you know, that that's, that, that again, those can be stakes that can be articulated in the text. Again, as an actor, you are not locked into those stakes. You may find other connected stakes. But part of the reason why it's totally okay for you as an actor to do that is the audience is going to hear the written stakes and attribute your actions to those stakes. So you as an actor want to find whatever is going to make you act, but the audience is going to assume it's for the reason that the playwright has written into the play and will judge your character by those stakes that are established there. Mm -hmm. And I also think that stakes and sort of the size and scope of the stakes very often have a lot to do with the tone of the play. That if it's a play where the thing that they're battling over is the future of a nation versus the future of a marriage, the intimacy of how we perceive the play is going to be different. And actually sometimes you can have an awful lot of fun by sort of playing off, you know, the larger story is about 
the future of a nation, but within it there's someone who the thing that's really important to them is the future of their marriage. But those are things that, that, that calibrating those stakes you know, has a lot to do with tone, and there's both straightforward and more sophisticated ways to do that. And that's actually what makes a comedy, is, is applying the level of stakes of the future of a nation to that girl's wearing the same dress as me. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, it's the the discordance between how important it seems to somebody and how important we judge that it actually is. But what makes something funny is how much people want things, and why would they want those things? You know. I mean, I think ultimately, from both a writer's point of view and an actor's point of view, what the stakes really are is what it is that makes the story worth telling. You know, why what is going on that's so important for this character that makes it worth our time to sit down and write about it or to get inside their head and get up and act it out. And again, it's, it's also directly the reason why it's worth the audience's time to sit and watch what's going on. Because you can have beautifully detailed performances and writing about things that nobody cares about. And no matter how beautifully detailed it is, no one is going to care. It really is the stakes, and it's again why I can't believe I've done an, a, 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 uh, done an episode about this before, but the stakes are the things that everything else is built on. As a viewing experience, as an acting experience, as a writing experience, as a directing experience uh, too, because a big part of the director's job is to calibrate the stakes, um, you know, and to make sure that the stakes that the writer has written and the stakes that the actor has found and the stakes that you want the audience to find in the show are all dancing together. Yeah, it, I think probably the reason we haven't talked about it before is it's such an integral part, you just kind of take it for granted. Hmm. I, think, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and finding it useful and or interesting, uh, please let your friends know that the podcast is out there. Uh, you can subscribe at iTunes, and you can also go there to write us reviews and give us stars, which please do. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at cryhavocompany.org. And if you want to find out any more information about the Cry Have a Company, our programs, and our upcoming public events, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself, Jen, Jenny, Carrie, Jen, and all of us at the Cry Have a Company, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe.